You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guest is Dr. Kenneth Liu, a specialist in cataract and refractive surgery, who's also the convener of the Doheny Innovation and Entrepreneurship Gathering each year. He's an enthusiastic supporter of creative and emerging advances in ophthalmology with an appreciation for ideas that blend old approaches with fresh thinking. Dr. Liu is here to talk with me first about how vision-improving surgeries have evolved over the past decade, and then the latest in research and development aimed at superior patient treatment. Thanks so much for joining me, Ken. You're welcome. Great to be here. So let's start out talking about what's new in cataract and refractive surgeries, because by now... Laser vision correction, or the so-called LASIK surgery, is a procedure that's been around in the U.S. for about 20 years, and I imagine the techniques and the tools are evolving as more procedures are performed and there's data on those outcomes. Can you talk about that? So I think you, you hit it right on the, the head uh, in that the LASIK surgery has helped change the, uh, the parameters, the, the goals of cataract surgery. It's, it's actually set the bar higher. So because we can now deliver much more accurate refractive result, uh, you know, cataract surgery uh, has to follow the same sort of standards now. So, uh, so just in the last few years, we've had a lot of advances in uh, intraocular lenses that can now deliver uh, those kinds of results. The latest uh, uh, lens that I'm most excited about is called an extended focus lens, which gives patients vision correction at distance and near, and it can also correct uh, astigmatism. So essentially, it corrects all, all forms of uh, prescription problems that any patient could have. So what you're saying is that a patient who may have in the past gone in for cataract surgery can now have the surgery which corrects both the cataract and any kind of vision, nearsightedness, farsightedness. Yes. So, so maybe 20, 30 years ago when we do cataract surgery, we just want to clear up that fogginess from removing the cataract. And we put in a lens implant and we're not too concerned about the, the refractive result, meaning the, the prescription result, uh, you know, because we know that patients can wear glasses or contacts afterwards to achieve the, the good vision. But now, you know, the bar is, is higher. Now we not only do we have to remove the cataract and clear up the, the vision, we strive now to give patients glasses or contact lens independence. So we want to correct their vision as well. And we now have lenses that can, that can do that, uh, not just distance vision, but near vision uh, and astigmatism. So it's quite, a, quite an advance. So is the development of those lenses uh, different in terms of materials or the approach to engineering it? Uh, the material is the same, but it's the putting the prescription on the lens itself. So... So the previous generation is what we call multifocal lenses, which basically are rings or zones of differing power on the surface of the lens. But the latest generation is what we call extended focus. So it's based on that platform, but with a slightly different technique, 
science and is using um, changes in uh, spherical aberration to achieve that kind of result. And who is the typical candidate for this kind of surgery? I think the stereotype is probably that it's an elderly patient. Is that accurate? Well, these are patients who come in for cataract surgery, first and foremost. So they have cataracts, or yes, they are usually more elderly, although cataracts can occur in a relatively young person, too. I've, uh, my youngest patient was 28, uh, who developed cataract in, in one eye. Yeah, so you come in, you have cataract, you're having difficulty with vision, and then through the process, we also discuss vision correction, and we recommend usually a lens that can solve their needs. Uh, so the patient also needs to have good potential for uh, visual recovery, meaning that they shouldn't have uh, other severe eye diseases, for instance, macular degeneration or you know, very severe glaucoma or you know, other uh, vision uh, limiting diseases because then they wouldn't realize the benefits of this uh, new type of lens. And for those patients who do have good potential, can you describe what the outcomes generally are like for them? The outcome is, is very good. Usually they have excellent distance vision. Usually you know, we can get them 20, 30 or better vision. And they have very functional reading vision as well. So uh, we, we call it J3 vision, which basically uh, corresponds to, to about 2030 reading vision as well. So it's quite consistent uh, and usually with uh, very little side effect and, uh, and not much adjustment to uh, this type of uh, lens and the way of uh, seeing. In addition to seeing patients, I know that you're very enthusiastic about innovation. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit first about how you got the idea for the innovation and entrepreneurship gathering at Doheny, sort of the brief history of it and most recent topics discussed there and what you're looking forward to this winter. So I got interested in, in this because I designed a an intraocular lens myself. So so we were just talking about this extended focus lens, but there is another way of creating lens or solving the, the near vision problem with cataract surgery, which is with accommodating intraocular lenses. So the, the natural lens in, in everyone's eye adjusts focus by changing the shape, and that process is called accommodation. So a more physiologic way to correct for near vision with cataract surgery would be to put in a, an intraocular lens that can either change position or change shape to adjust the focus. So we do have an, an accommodating intraocular lens uh, on the market in the U.S., but the general consensus is that the effect is very low and, and sort of inconsistent. So I came up with the design myself, and I was trying to further this this idea and that's sort of how I got into the the space of innovations you know looked into financing to raising money to developing uh, the the idea and 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 all this all that kind of thing and so that's how I got the idea of of holding a conference where we talk about every step in the process of innovations 
And it, it really requires a wide set of skills for an innovator or an entrepreneur to succeed. It's not just understanding the science and coming up with the idea. It's going out and speaking to, to you know, money people, to regulatory people, to engineers, and ultimately to the public to be able to explain how this benefits them and to patients and et cetera. So, so to that end, we, we have a conference at Delhini uh, every year that's been going on for about six, seven years now. Uh, and this year, the conference is on December 9th. And just to give you an example of uh, this <clears throat> wide set of skills and, and broad-ranging topics that we speak about, this year we have a Hollywood screenwriter a uh, professor of screenwriting from uh, George Lucas School of Film, who will be coming to, to speak to us about how to tell a story. And that's a topic that is not very often spoken about in, in scientific meetings. So, Doctor, I know that you have personal experience, so I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit um, about how your process with breakthroughs and frustrations has unfolded. And also, I know that you have a husband and wife team who will be speaking this year. Is that right? Yes, yes. We, um, so that's a, another sort of interesting uh, aspect of this conference this year. So we have a, a very well-known uh, ophthalmologist, uh, Dr. Sam Maskett, uh, who was the president of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, and uh, he's, you know, written several papers, very well known in, in the nation, actually. Uh, and his wife, who is his office manager. And so he's working on an intraocular lens that reduces a specific uh, side effect. And he's been working on this for, for several years. His wife came up with this idea of an eye patch, essentially, to cover one eye while the other eye is being tested so that the other eye is not interfering and, and wanting to move the fixation. And so, so this patch basically has a adhesive all the way around the edge, and it's got a slit uh, that goes from the edge to the center so that uh, you can bring the two sides of the slit together and, and, and affect a uh, vault in this patch so that when you tape it on the face, it's not uh, pressing on the eye itself. And so it's a very simple idea, uh, but she's sold this idea to a company. And so usually for uh, entrepreneurs, that, that's considered a successful exit. And that's what you know, all these uh, entrepreneurs want. And so she's, she's done that within a very short period of time. While he's still working on, you know, his lens, because it's a much bigger idea uh, requiring FDA approval, uh, it requires a lot more money, and, uh, and so he's still, uh, you know, working on it. It's, it's a very long process. Uh, these things can take, you know, t 10, 20 years uh, to, uh, to get to the market. So, so it'll be a very interesting contrast in, uh, in sort of how, how, you know, how you take an idea all the way to commercialization. And it also reminds us that not all great ideas are high-tech, right? 
Correct. That's right. <laughs> there yes. could be the low tech breakthrough, which could be awesome. Uh, so, Ken, I just wanted to ask you because you are telling your story in a way that's very fluid. I'm wondering if you can give us a few more details about the kind of push and pull of your own journey as an entrepreneur and some of the breakthroughs and frustrations that maybe prompted you to organize uh, an exchange of ideas. Yes. Yeah, so I came up with a, uh, an accommodating intraocular lens that changes shape instead of changing position within the eye. And most lenses, uh, when they are implanted, they are sort of passively implanted into the eye, into what we call the capsular bag. And previous lenses sort of expect the accommodating mechanism to, to affect a change in, in that lens. Uh, but my idea uh, was that, uh, that this lens needs to be attached to those mechanisms. Uh, in order to receive the movement, the, the forces, so that it can affect a change. And so it, it, it actively receives the, uh, the, the intraocular uh, forces. And um, so I came up with this idea. This was probably seven, seven eight years ago now. And, um, and I presented to a lot of people, to engineers and to... Uh, colleagues, and, and then uh, to uh, to big company, intraocular lens company, because I knew that this required a lot of money. Oftentimes, it requires about a, a billion dollars by the time it's done getting through the FDA. Wow! So I, yeah, so I went to the the end uh, buyer, these intraocular lens companies that are on the market and and actively selling. Uh, intraocular lenses, uh, and I presented this to them in hopes that they would uh, pick up on a very early uh, idea and so that they can uh, purchase it for a relatively low price because, the you know, it's a math problem, essentially. This, we do 3 million-plus cataract surgeries in the country, and, you know, the price of these lenses could be as much as you know a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred. So you multiply that; it's it's a huge market, it's, right? You know, billions of dollars every year, and that's just in the U.S. alone. So, so for for these companies to invest, you know, a couple of million into uh, the simple idea is mathematically sound. So I approached them with that, but the problem was that these companies are not used to investing in very early stage ideas. They don't have the apparatus to uh, help develop these things. They, mm. And they much rather pick up um, products that are already on the pathway to FDA approval right. uh, and pay a lot more money. But, you know, there, there are risks in that regard, too. There have so, been several um, technologies where the they pay something like $400 million uh, for uh, lenses that, that don't work. Uh, there's one in particular called Synchrony. Uh, it's, a, it's an accommodating lens and uh, has dual optics. And they pay $400 million for it, and it never got through the FDA, and then mm. they dropped the, the wow. project. Wow. And so... So you're offering um, them a deal. <laughs> 
Exactly, right. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's difficult to change people's way of thinking. Of you know, course. they're used to doing things a certain way. and But it, it's, a, it's a tremendous learning process. I think it's, it's fascinating to to go through that and, and, and pick up on, on things. And uh, so it's been a very rewarding process. Well, and as you said, you're learning something every step of the way as you glean information about at what stage they're ready to enter the process with you or with a team of investors who can bring that to market. Unbelievably interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Dr. Kenneth Liu, and uh, let's talk again. Great. Thank you, Jody. Thanks. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.